Well, good morning, everyone. We're so glad you all could join us on this lovely Sunday morning. If you'd make your way on in, if you're still out in the annex, that'd be great. We're going to begin this morning in worship. If you guys would stand with us, we're going to sing The Lion and the Lamb.
Good morning. My name's Ian. I'm the uh, youth pastor today. You get to settle for me. Tim's out of town, so uh, sorry about that. But a couple of announcements. Uh, first of all, if you look at the back of your bulletin, you will see that Dave Light's savings time is coming, and we are, I guess we're going to call it celebrating that with a soup lunch uh, next week. So following the Sunday school hour, there's a sign-up sheet in the kitchen. Please sign up for something. I saw there's a bunch of spots open, so if you want to bring something, uh, sign up. Also, this is a early, early reminder that the No, Regret, no Regrets Men's Conference is coming up Saturday, February 4th. 8 to 1 at the uh, Woodruff Evangelical Free Church, um, so at Faith E Free there. Um, so eventually there will be a sign-up, but here's your first first warning that it's coming up. Um, also, if you see look in your bulletin, you will notice that there is Sunday school. There are some different opportunities. There's uh, also a um, there's cross-training that's going to be in here at uh, 1045, but there is also the uh, Gospel-Centered Parenting class, which will be in the library. So if you um, haven't uh, taken the opportunity to check those classes out, uh, I highly encourage you to do that. Um, we want to thank you for everyone who has given in the last year, and if you uh, want to give, you can put your offerings in the, in the boxes at the back on your way out. Um, and finally, um, some rather sad news. Jim Gall passed away this past Thursday. Um, Jim was, uh, he was a big part of this church, and uh, me and Al were just talking about the number of years that he ran slides back there. It was probably 20, 20-ish years, something like that. And so he's, he's been a big part of this church, and, and he will be missed. So, um, yeah, with that, let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to just gather here together, Lord. And uh, just to, to praise you as, as the lion and the lamb. We think of Jim this morning. We thank you for him, and we thank you that he was a part of this church, Lord. We thank you for his years of, of serving in tons of different ways, even as we think about slides and all the meals he made and all the, all the other things that, that he did for this church and in this church and as a part of this church, Lord. And we praise you, Lord, that he, we know where he is. We know that he is with you, um, that he is in a, a great place. And we just, we just celebrate that, Lord, that he is with you, Lord. We ask that you would be with Joanne and the rest of uh, his family. Give them peace and wisdom as they move forward, trying to figure out all, all the different things that, that come along with Jim passing, Lord. And just give them the comfort that, that he is with you. And we thank you for that. Lord, we thank you for who you are. As we just sang that you are the lion and the lamb. That you are our savior, Lord, and you are powerful. We thank you that you came and died for us, Lord, on a cross. And rose again on the third day. We ask that you would help us to remember that as we uh, continue to worship and just help us to worship well, that we worship sincerely, not trying to hide anything, but come to you as we are uh, and just worship you well. We ask your blessing on the rest of our time together and our fellowship afterwards. In Jesus' name, amen.
You stand as we continue to sing.
praise you as the only one that we pour our praise out to, Lord. You are all powerful, and we thank you for that. We ask that you would remind us of that and, and not let us forget that you are. You are the one who gives us life, and it is your breath in our lungs, Lord. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are in the uh, middle of kind of a in-between series, um, talking about Elijah and Elisha. And today we are talking about um, 1 Kings 18, which uh, for those of you that don't know the, the, uh, that reference, it is the passage where Elijah confronts the, um, the prophets of, or the priests of Baal. So through history there are many big confrontations between two people groups, right? I mean, we can, all of us can think back and think of all kinds of different ones. Um, one that came to mind this morning while I was, I was preparing for this is the Green Devils versus the Red Devils. So, in World War II, there was the 6th Para-Infantry Division, which was a British unit who all wore Red Berets. And eventually they were given the moniker Red Devils by their German adversaries because they would, these guys would hop in behind German lines and they would destroy stuff or kill people or you know, normal saboteur stuff. And uh, when fighting them, they would see these Red Berets. And so they got this reputation for really tough fighters. At the same time, across the continent, the Germans had a Fallschirmjäger, so that's a, a para-infantry unit, um, also known as the Green Devils. And they called themselves Green Devils because they wore more green than most German units that wore gray. Um, and they're famous for taking Crete and a couple other places. Well, twice during World War II, the Green Devils ran into the Red Devils. Um, the first place was in Sicily in 1943 at a bridge. The uh, Red Devils ran into the Green Devils. The Green Devils were defending a bridge. The Red Devils were trying to take the bridge. Um, and the Red Devils ended up barely winning. Um, the second time is a more famous uh, place. Many of you, I'm sure, are familiar with the movie um, A Bridge Too Far, um, which was based off of Montgomery's epic plan to take a number of bridges into Germany and go around the Rhine River. The final bridge was at a place called Arnhem. And uh, the, the plan was for a bunch of paratroopers to hop in and then some tanks to drive down and eventually get to the end of the bridge and take a loop around the Rhine. Um, what ends up happening is it was one bridge too far, hence the, you know, the name. Um, so the Red Devils jumped in and they met the Green Devils waiting for them on the ground. And the Red Devils did not end up taking the bridge. The Green Devil, Devils won. And uh, I just thought that was one of the cool major confrontations of two units that literally are, are pretty much the same name. But we're talking today about um, a major confrontation between God, Yahweh, and the priests of Baal. And this passage can kind of be split into two sections. There's the preparation for the confrontation, and then there's the confrontation itself. So if you'd all turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 18 with me, we're going to kind of walk through this passage. It is a long passage. It's 46 verses. Um, but um, we're going to kind of step through it, um, and we will, we will go through this. So, 1 Kings 18, I'm going to start in verse 1. 
After a long time, in the third year, the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the land. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab. Now the famine was severe in Samaria. So I want you to notice a, a couple things here. Um, first of all, this, this passage reminds us that this, there's a famine going on. That famine was brought on because Ahab disobeyed God and decided to worship Baal, who was this Phoenician god um, who was all centered around storms and rain, and that's, that's who he was. Um, so Elijah says, or God says, you're going to worship a god who is all about rain and stuff. Well, guess what? You don't get any rain. Okay. So after three years, there's been just drought, no water, Elijah's been hiding out um, in a place called Zarephath, which is located in Phoenicia, so just north of the northern kingdom of Israel. Um, and there's been no rain. So God comes to, Ahab, or to Elijah and says, Go tell Ahab that rain is coming. And we are also told that in Samaria, there's been no rain. So verse 3. And Ahab had summoned... Obadiah, his palace administrator. Obadiah was a devout believer in the Lord. While Jezebel uh, was killing off the Lord's prophets, Obadiah had taken a hundred prophets and hidden them in two caves, fifty in each, and had supplied them with food and water. Ahab had said to Obadiah, Go through the land to all the springs and valleys. Maybe we can find some grass to keep the horses and mules alive, so we will not have to kill any of our animals. So Obadiah is introduced. Um, in this passage, Obadiah is identified as the palace administrator, so which is a pretty lofty position. He's not just the guy who makes sure that there's servants. He's the guy who makes sure that everyone in the king's household is where they're supposed to be, has what they want, and so he ends up being a pretty powerful guy. But as we see this, Obadiah is also a devout believer in the Lord, which is kind of obvious if you're if you're a Hebrew reading this literally Obadiah means servant of the Lord okay so servant of the Lord is serving under a king who is not serving the Lord and he is covertly taking prophets and hiding them in caves and not just hiding them but over three years of famine he is making sure they have food and water which is pretty extraordinary so Ahab takes Obadiah and he he says, you go this way, and you go find some fodder for our horses, and I'll go this way. And obviously, it's not just them, like by themselves. You know, they have like a retinue with them. And um, so they, they're going to find stuff, or uh, this feed for their horses. Now, commentators are kind of split on Ahab's motives for doing this. Um, some people say, well, Ahab's doing this. And he's just being super selfish because he don't want to, doesn't want to lose any of his horses. Other groups say, well, they, they point to 1 Kings 20, where the kingdom, which is to the northwest, named Aram, or northeast, Aram, ends up attacking Israel. And Israel ends up being able to defend themselves because they have chariots, and Aram has chariots. And so Israel survives because they have these chariots. So maybe Ahab is actually kind of being a decent king and trying militarily to, to defend themselves. I kind of lean towards the historical one with the trying to defend themselves. I think it makes sense. But um, regardless, we know Ahab's still a schmuck because of everything else. But he might not be 
quite as schmucky in this in this case. All right, um, but that's that's kind of up for debate. I'm going to continue in verse seven. As Obadiah was walking along, Elijah met him. Obadiah recognized him and bowed down to the ground and said, Is it really you, my lord Elijah? Yes, he replied. Go tell your master, Elijah is here. What have I done wrong, asked Obadiah, that you are handing your servant over to Ahab to be put to death? As surely the Lord your God lives, there is not a nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to look for you. And whenever a nation or kingdom claimed that you were not there, he made them, made them swear they could not find you. But now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here. I don't know where the spirit of the Lord. Uh, I I don't know where the spirit of the Lord may carry you when I leave you. If I go and tell Ahab and he doesn't find you, he will kill me. Yet I, your servant, have worshipped the Lord since my youth. Haven't you heard, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel was killing the prophets of the Lord? I hid a hundred of the Lord's prophets in two caves, fifty in each, and supplied them with food and water. And now you tell me to go to my master and say, Elijah is here? He will kill me. Elijah said, As the Lord Almighty lives, whom I serve, I will surely present myself to Ahab today. So Obadiah greets uh, Elijah as Lord, showing deference to him and his position as the Lord's prophet. He recognizes him. He says, Yep, you are the guy, um, and, and I'm, I'm going to bow down to you because of that. But also Obadiah has this fear, which... Um, with this fear, I'm not, I'm not sure how reasonable it is, but from his perspective, you think about, he's been living in this palace for three years, covertly worshiping God, and he hides a hundred servants, and he's slowly seeing Jezebel hunt everyone else down that, that believes like he does. I, I, think, I think I'd be pretty, pretty stressed, a little, little scared about what's happening. Um, so Elijah says, no, no, no. It's, it's going to be okay. I'm not going anywhere. God told me to be here. It's going to be all right. As the Lord lives, I'm not leaving. So in verse 16, we're going to see what happens. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. When he saw Elijah, he said to him, Is that you, troubler of Israel? I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said. But you and your father's family have. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed the Baals. Now summon the people for all, from all over Israel to meet me at Mount Carmel and bring the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eats at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent word throughout all Israel and assembled the prophets on Mount Carmel. So Ahab meets Elijah and he greets him, not as the prophet of God, but rather calls him the instrument of of Israel's destruction. Ironically, Elijah is there uh, to deliver Israel out of their uh, current predicament. And of course, Ahab's the one who's actually the problem. Um, Elijah rebuffs him with a little history lesson. He says, your ancestors are the ones who messed this up, not, not me. And we are going to have a showdown at Mount Carmel. So bring all your prophets of Baal, that's 400, who your wife is funding. Um, so they, they, they end up agreeing and going up to this. So um, you notice that there are the Ashereths mentioned. Um, the Ashereth is a name for another deity, kind of Baal's consort. Um, it also can be used as kind of like a, a generic term 
for uh, a false god at the time. Um, so now we've got the setup. We're going to be having this confrontation at Mount Carmel. So verse 21. Elijah went before the people and said, How long will you waver between these two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. But the people said nothing. When Elijah said to them, I am the only one of the Lord's prophets left, but Baal has 450 prophets. Get two bulls for us. Let Baal's prophets choose one for themselves, and let them cut it into pieces, and put it on the wood, and not set fire to it. And I will prepare the other bull, and put it on the wood, but not set fire to it. Then you call on the name of your God, and I will call on the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. Then all the people said, what you say is good. So Elijah challenges people. He says, stop wavering between these two. Don't keep going partially to Yahweh, partially to Baal. It's time for you to pick a side. Um, which, again, this is talking to Israel that has decided that they're not just going to worship God. They're going to worship Baal as well. Um, if you look at Jeroboam, which is when the, the kingdom split, Jeroboam is kind of the start of this whole cycle of Israel following idols. And, and the reason why he does it. So Jeroboam takes over the northern kingdom because the southern kingdom was given to Rehoboam, which was Solomon's son. But Jeroboam decides, you know what? I have this problem with all of my people going to the temple to worship Yahweh. That's going to be a problem. All of my people traveling to the south every single year, a couple times a year, to sacrifice there. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to set up two other temples. So he sets up two temples, one at Shiloh and one at um, in Dan. And he says, look, these idols, this is the God that got you out of Egypt. It wasn't just Yahweh, it was, it was kind of this God too. So now you suddenly have, if you're going to, if you are in the northern kingdom, if you want to be patriotic, part of your country, then you need to worship here. Um, so there's been this wavering between Yahweh and these idols, and Elijah says, no, no, you need to pick one, and we're going to choose today. Um, and the wind condition is going to be fire from heaven. If fire falls from heaven on these unlit unlit uh, sacrifices, that's who the real God is. Notice where uh, this, this is happening. This is happening on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel is a mountain that's kind of in the northwest part of Israel. Um, if you know your Israeli geography, the modern-day port city of Haifa is very close to that. this. But um, it's, it's a mountain, so this is kind of all in Baal's, do Baal's domain. It's right next to the Phoenician border, which is where Baal is from. You have to remember that the gods uh, at the time were thought to be geographically locked in where this was their land. So this is right next to his border. It's next to the sea. It overlooks the sea. And you're, you're on a mountain, so you're closer to heaven. So all of this points to, hey, this is all Baal's backyard. You're waiting for lightning or some, a storm to come and strike that. Um, modern day, if you try to go to Mount Carmel, you can go to Mount Carmel. They call it the Mountains of Carmel more than Mount Carmel. But you can go there. Um, if you look at Mount Carmel, you will see a fire monument. That fire monument is not to this. It is to a fire that happened in 20, 2010. So, but you can check it out. It's, it's a national park, and I guess you can go there, which is kind of cool. 
um, we are going to continue. Uh, Verse 25. Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one of the bulls and prepare it first, since there are so many of you. Call on the name of your God, but do not light the fire. So they took the bull given to them and prepared it. Then they called on the name of Baal from morning till noon. Baal, answer us, they shouted. But there was no response. No one answered. And they danced around uh, They danced around the altar they had made. At noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Shout louder, he said. Surely he is a god. Perhaps he is deep in thought, or busy, or traveling. Maybe he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they shouted louder and slashed themselves with swords and spears, as it was their custom, until their blood flowed. Midday passed, and they continued their frantic prophesying uh, until the time for the evening sacrifice. But there was no one, no response, no one answered, and no one paid attention. So the prophets dance around and try and entice Baal to show his power. There's no storm, there's no lightning, no fire. And as they start to get frustrated, Elijah starts to taunt them. He says, maybe he's sleeping, maybe he's gone. Um, some translations literally say maybe he's going to the bathroom. Um, you know, no one knows, where is he? Um, but these taunts are directed at the prophets. But you have to remember that there's this whole group of Israel that's standing around watching. They're waiting to see who wins. And these Israelites, they, have, they also are thinking back to, well, this is for the kingdom, right? And who's the ultimate king in Israel? When they think of history, they think of David as that king. And David wrote these words. This is Psalm 139, 7 through 10. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. He's reminding them, you know what? Your God is sleeping and not here, but our God, he is here. This is what Psalm 121 says, verses 3 and 4. He will not let your foot slip. He He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. He's reminding the people, your God has always been here, even though you abandoned him. His taunts are for Israel's benefit, um, that they, they need to remind it who their true God is. So all afternoon, the prophets of Baal toil. They, they're doing all kinds of things, and their God doesn't answer. Nothing happens. So now we have... Elijah's response, verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come here to me. They came to him. He repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took twelve stones, one for each of the tribes descended from Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Your name shall be Israel. With the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench around it, large enough to hold two seahs of seed. Okay, pause. Seahs, <clears throat> for those who are wondering, that a seah is about 144 medium-sized eggs. If you're wondering, that's, I know it's helpful. Um, also known as nine quarts, but when I looked this up, that's what, they, that's what they said. 144 medium-sized eggs. All right. So he's got the, these two trenches, right, which are, which are pretty big. Uh, Verse 33, he arranged the wood, cut the bull into pieces, and laid it on the wood. Then he said to them, fill four large jars with water and pour it on the offering of the wood. Okay, I want you guys to pay attention, do a little math. Okay, you got four jars of water. We're going to start with four, okay? Do it again. So they poured it once, so that's four. 
Do it again. That's another four. Do it again, he said, and they did it again, so you're up to eight. Do it a third time, he ordered, and they did it a third time. So you have 12 things of water, which think, think symbolism there. It's important. The water ran down around the altar and even filled the trench. Um, yeah, so he, he totally soaks this thing. He pours water in it. The, the trenches are filled with water, all of it, and he has it anointed 12 times with water. Okay? This is all pointing to Israel saying, hey, don't you remember that we were one nation that was totally founded by God into this land that was given to us, given to Jacob, the guy who literally your name bears, and you guys have totally abandoned him. You've turned away. Notice how I had to build this altar again with 12 stones, and then on top of that, I'm going to pour 12 things of water on it. And so it's, it's all just reminding them, hey, this, this is important. You, you guys need to remember who you were. Verse 36. At the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel, and that I am your servant, and have done all these things as you command. Answer me, Lord, answer me so that these people will know you, Lord, our God, and that you are turning their hearts back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. When all the people saw this, they fell prostrate and called and cried, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. So notice this. Everything is burned up. All of it. The sacrifice, the stone, the wood, and even the water. Now, question that I always had was, is there just like a hole in the ground, or is it like flat? But it's gone. Regardless, God answers and He burns everything up. In Baal's backyard, he says, no, I am the one true God. And all the people, they shout their response, the Lord is God. Um, Let's continue. Then Elijah commanded them, seize the prophets of Baal. Don't let anyone get away. They seized them, and Elijah had them brought to the Kishon Valley and slaughtered there. And Elijah said to Ahab, go and eat and drink, for there is the sound of a heavy rain. So Ahab went off to eat and drink, but Elijah climbed to the top of Carmel bent down to the ground and put his face between his knees. Go and look toward the sea, he told his servant. And he went up and looked. There is nothing there, he said. Seven times Elijah said, go back. The seventh time the servant reported, a cloud as small as a man's hand is rising from the sea. So Elijah said, go and tell Ahab, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with the clouds. The wind rose, a heavy rain started falling, and Ahab rode off to Jezreel. The power of the Lord came to Elijah, and he tucked his cloak into his belt. He ran ahead of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. So after the, the sacrifice, all the prophets are taken down to the Kishon Valley and killed. Um, then Elijah says, the rain is coming. Ahab, go eat, drink. It's time to celebrate. Water's coming. And he um, goes and tells his servant, you need to look and tell me if you see any clouds. So he, uh, Elijah goes and lays down with his face between his knees, prostrate before the Lord, and the servant has to go back and forth seven times, which I would not enjoy being that servant, having to just go and look at a you know, plain sky, hoping to see a singular cloud. But eventually rain co- comes, and Elijah starts down, or Ahab starts on the mountain, um, Elijah goes and warns him to get going because this is the same place. Um, so Mount Carmel is the same place that 
Barak and Deborah beat Cicero in Judges. And the reason that they won that battle was because of uh, mud that fouled the, the enemy's chariots and stuff like that. So he didn't want Ahab to get stuck on this mountain. So he said, go, get going. And Elijah runs out ahead of him, supernaturally beating him down that mountain. Um, there's questions as to why he does this. Um, I think the one that makes the most sense is Elijah is going before Ahab. He's showing honor and homage to the king and telling him, <clears throat> reminding him of his kingship and kind of the pact that was made on the top of that mountain that whoever wins, that's the God that's going to be in Israel. So know you, Ahab, need to be the king. Go down and kick out the rest of these, the Baals. Okay? Um, unfortunately, Ahab doesn't do that at all. Um, and maybe the whole saddest part about this whole story is, even though that Israel on the top of that mountain says, God, you are, you are the, the one true God, um, there is no evidence in the chapters that continue whether this actually changes anything. Um, pretty, much, pretty much Israel seems to stay the same. Um, even though this great display of power. When you read this passage, the message is pretty clear. Yahweh is who he says he is. And he is superior. And I, I notice how I left superior as just a period. Because Yahweh is superior in, in all the ways. Okay. Um, when you think about reading this passage, you think about who wrote it. And this, no one's sure exactly when it was written, but some, most people believe that it's between 540 and 560 B.C., okay? which puts it straight in the middle of the Babylonian captivity. So these are the Israelites who have been taken from Judah and Israel, taken to Babylon, and they're looking back and they're saying, you know what, when we were a kingdom, this is, this is what happened. This is why it fell apart. This is why it didn't work. Because we didn't believe Yahweh was who he said he was. And that he was superior. Number two, <clears throat> the Lord is faithful when we are surrounded by apostasy. Okay? We think of Obadiah. Obadiah was literally the only guy who was doing what was right in the palace that he knew of. right? And so he goes and he hides these hundred prophets... For three years, in caves, supporting them, I'm sure, no, I mean, none of that was easy, all the time fearful that he was going to get hunted down and killed. But he did it. Spurgeon says this about, uh, about Obadiah. Account for it how you may, it is a singular circumstance that is the center, uh, that in the center of rebellion against God, there was one whose devotion to God was intense and distinguished. As, is, as it is horrible to find a Judas among the apostles, so it is grand to discover an Obadiah among Ahab's courtiers. What graces must have been at work to maintain such a fire in the midst of the sea, such godliness in the midst of the vilest of iniquities. It can be really hard to find um, things in narrative that we can directly apply to our lives, right? Sometimes we read stuff and we say, well, no, I, you know, I don't have to worry about a bunch of people who worship idols and that kind of thing on a daily basis. But I think all of us would say when we look at the world, we are surrounded by people who believe differently, who 
push us towards things that we don't need to do, don't want to do, shouldn't do. But we can think of Obadiah and see a man who for three years, when surrounded by complete and utter apostasy, was willing to stand and do the right thing. And that's an example for all of us. Thirdly, we are called to worship Yahweh as our one and only God. As I said before, Jeroboam is the root of this line of kings that does not follow God in Israel. When you think about the the history of Israel, um, there were 20 kings in the northern kingdom. And of those 20 kings, you would think at least one would be would be good. One would follow Yahweh. One would say, no, this is, this is bad. We can't keep doing this. But the reality is, of those 20 kings, zero of them were good. And in the southern kingdom in Judah, there were 19 kings. You would think at least half of them would be good, right? Maybe? No, only eight of them were good. Okay? And the good ones, even some of the best ones, I mean, you think about Josiah, he ends up dying super early because he disobeys God. Um, so we all need to be reminded of that fact that, that we need to follow God and God alone. We have so many distractions and things that take our focus away from God. And some of that stuff, some of the stuff is good, right? It's good things. It's, it's work, it's family, it's whatever. It's good, but we need to be able to distinguish between what is good and what is better and what is best. And God is the best. We see that God was faithful in this situation, right? He brings rain to Israel, even though that originally when he judged Israel, he said, you're not going to have rain until you turn away from Baal. But instead, he's like, no, I'm going to show mercy. I'm going to bring rain early to you, um, and I'm going to make it so you guys have this um, because you need it. Looking back at what went wrong, and what they, these people were hoping for, we see that, that God must be central to our lives. If you, um, if you don't know, eventually there's a king that comes, right? And that king is Jesus, which we're looking forward to to Christmas, which is going to we're looking forward to that. Um, but um, lots of times we don't think about Jesus as the king now, right? Um, Jesus came as a man to be the king of Israel and to be the king of the whole world. He wanted to reunite man and God, and the way he did that is by dying and rising again on the third day. If you don't know Jesus as your king, I invite you to have a conversation with me or Pastor Tim when he's to get back or one of the other elders, and we would love to talk to you about that. We need to be reminded that Jesus is faithful now, and he was faithful then, and he will continue to do so. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, we thank you for uh, this awesome story, Lord, of you having a showdown with the prophets of Baal, Lord, that you showed yourself in such a fantastic way. And even though that these people didn't listen, Lord, we know that, that we need to listen to you, Lord, that we need to follow you and follow you alone. I ask that you would bless us as we go from this place, help us to... Um, Just honor you well and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Go knowing that God is faithful and he is here with us. You're dismissed.
Slain for the sin.